Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we kick off a new series entitled The Big Three. Now, the Big Three are not three professional basketball players. The Big Three is not the three branches of government. It's not the three stooges, the three meals in a day. It's not three's company or a band in the 60s. The Big Three is not even the three persons of the Trinity. The Big Three are the three best ways to connect with God at Maple Grove Covenant Church. Meaning if you could just pick three things to do over the next nine months to become more aware of God's presence and power, you would want to choose the big three. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that some people don't like to go to church. Now, I know that may seem a little bit strange because you're here coming to church because you enjoy gathering for worship, but some people don't like to attend a worship service. In fact, statistically speaking, 80% of people in the Twin Cities do not have a church home. Although 50% of people in our city consider themselves spiritual, only 20% worship God consistently in a faith community. And at first, I was a little bit confused by that statistic. How could the majority of people in our city not want to worship God? But then I remembered my childhood. And I remembered how when I went to church, it wasn't all that engaging. It was a little bit irrelevant. Music's a little bit out of style, and the message was a bit boring, and I didn't have the best experiences growing up as a boy, and I now think that sometimes we can misunderstand the meaning of church, that I didn't understand all that was happening on a typical morning of worship. I didn't understand the point of gathering, getting out of bed, getting dressed, and coming to church. In fact, Growing up, I was a lot like this boy in this video. You ever felt that way? Ever felt like, hey, I just want to sleep in. I just want to avoid. Sometimes we have an allergic reaction to getting up and going to church because we feel like maybe it's irrelevant or maybe it's boring or just better sleep, and we do the great escape. In fact, when I was a kid growing up, sometimes I would even go to church, just get the program, and then go home, and in the meantime, I'd go hang out with my friends just to prove I had some evidence that I was in the building. And sometimes, if we're honest, we get that way, don't we? I don't want to go to church, or I don't feel like going to church. It's boring. It's irrelevant. Even as a young pastor, I was confused about worship. Even as a young pastor, the first church that I was at, Wooddale Church, I was a young adult pastor, I was a little bit I had some misunderstandings about why we come to worship. I had a conversation with Leith Anderson, the pastor of the church I was at initially. In fact, he was featured in our Covenant Companion uh, magazine. He was the speaker at our annual meeting uh, earlier this summer. And I was serving at Wooddale Church, and one of the activities that we had, every Monday at 10 o'clock, we would have our staff worship service because many of our staff, if not all of our staff, worked on Sunday morning. So the 150 people would gather on Monday at 10 for our corporate worship experience. And we did it every Monday morning. And after a full day on Sunday, 
you know, I would typically speak three times on Sunday morning to the young adult communities, and I would go to a worship service, and then I'd, come, uh, I'd, I'd meet with young adults as the pastor, and then I'd come back in the evening for our evening worship service. And it was typically a full Sunday, only to come back Monday morning at 8 a.m. for a two-hour pastoral staff meeting, and then this 10 o'clock congreg- or, or all-church, all-staff worship service. And I was having a conversation with Leith Anderson on the way to our 10 o'clock Monday morning corporate worship service as a staff. And it was a particularly busy time. And at noon, we were going to have an all-staff picnic, and it was going to last all day long. And I remember walking with Leith to our 10 o'clock worship gathering, and I said to him, Oh, Leith, I don't know if you noticed, but it's getting kind of busy around here. Got a lot of things going on. You know, we have our, you know, big day Sunday, and we're going to be meeting all afternoon with these same people. Have you ever considered canceling the worship service? Ever thought about maybe just canceling the whole thing, And because we're going to be meeting with everybody for the rest of the afternoon, and I'll never forget Lee's words. He answered by saying, without hesitation, he said this, good thing we come for God, not one another, when we come to worship. Good thing we come for God, not one another, when we come for worship. See, even as a young pastor, I was confused about worship. I thought it was just about getting together, having a good time, singing a few songs, and I didn't understand the meaning of worship. And sometimes, when I talk to people about attending worship, I almost hear myself in their answers. I'm too busy. I'd love to come. I got too many things going on. I got to take my kid to soccer practice, or my husband's really working late, or we got a lot of things going on with our family. You know, my grandfather's sick, and there's all these things going on. I'd love to come. They don't say this, but maybe you could cancel the worship service. They don't say that. They just don't, they just don't come. And, and the reason why they don't come, or, and, and as I interacted with them, I reminded of my pastor's words. Good thing we come for God, not one another, when we come for worship. See, the reason why we gather on a Sunday morning is not just for the free coffee or the friendship or the singing. We come for God. We come and gather together to worship God because sometimes in our busy schedules, Sometimes as we're trying to get ahead and we work hard in the office, sometimes we're at home and we're doing all the activities for our children and and for our family and getting things ready for the future. Sometimes in the busyness of our lives, we forget why we're here. We forget the most important relationship in our life and we forget to gather as a corporate body to worship the one true God. We forget that we're wired created by God for worship. It's not that those things are bad, you know, working and with our children and our families, but when sometimes those good things overtake our lives and our schedules, we forget the ultimate thing, why we're here, why God created us. And that's why one of the best things that you can do in your relationship with God, one of the three most important ways to connect with God over the next nine months, is to weekly worship. It's one of the big three. It's the first of the big three. It's to come and gather and worship 
God. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 17, page 1098 in your pew Bibles. Over the next couple, over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying Acts chapter 17 as, as we finished our series on common ground, building bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. But in that dialogue that Paul has with the Athenians, he describes who God is and why we're on the planet and why we gather for worship. And in Acts chapter 17, we read the following. 17 verse 22, then Paul stood up at the Areopagus. Remember, the Areopagus is the gathering of the 30 most influential people of the day. It's the ethicists, the economists, the philosophers. They would gather at the Areopagus to debate the latest ideas. And Paul's invited to speak at the Areopagus. And this is what he says. Men of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. The people of Athens were thorough worshipers. They tapped into their divine potential by creating hundreds of objects of worship. They were so thorough, they even had an altar to an unknown God. Their problem was not apathy just uncertainty. They did not know God. They were confused about life and how to connect with God. They never heard the message of Jesus. They worshiped idols. They knew instinctively they were made for something more. They just didn't connect with God. Now what you worship as something unknown, Paul states, I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to teach you who God is and why he created you. I'm going to teach you who God is and why God created you. This is Paul's words. God made the world and everything in it is the Lord. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives men life and breath and everything else. God created the world. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the creator of the ever-expanding universe. He is the Lord, and he's not served by human hands. He does not need an altar. He's not, he's not in need of anything. He's self-sufficient. He has everything he needs to be God within himself. He does not need us. In the book, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, Tozer writes, need is a creature word, not a creator word. Need is a creature word, not a creator word. That's why Paul writes, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he had no needs. He's the Lord, the master, the creator of heaven and earth. He's self-sufficient. He has everything within himself to be God. From one man, Paul continues, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and determine the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. God created all of humanity for all of time. He determined where you would live, who your parents would be, 
who your siblings would be. God is in control of the details of your life. He created the ever-expanding universe, and he created where you would live, who would be in your family, and the place of your birth. And why did God do all this, Paul? Why did he create the ever-expanding universe? Why is he so concerned about the details of your life? God did this, verse 27, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God did this. God did all this beauty and creation. God did all this creating you, placing you at this time, in this place of the world, so that you might seek him and find him and worship him. Because you were created, you were wired to worship God. Paul says it this way to the Colossians. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. You were created for God. I was created for God. All of humanity was created for God. That's why there are so many religions around the world because we all know instinctively that we were made for something more. We were created for a relationship with God. A really good friend of mine, I've shared this story before, was attending a class as a youngster about creation and how God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and the land, and the animals, and humanity. And as a young child, he asked this very important question, a question that all of us ask at some point in our lives. This young person asked, why am I here? Why did God create me? Maybe you asked that question at some point in your life. Well, this boy asked this question, and a, an adult that he trusted answered this way. Because God was lonely. God created you because he needed you. And my friend concluded on that day that the God of the Bible is a lonely, needy God. And he spent the next few years being a really, really good boy to try to fill a void in God's life. Until he read Paul's words to the Athenians. The God who makes the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. See, my friend realized that God has no needs. He is self-sufficient, complete, perfectly happy within himself that he has everything he needs to be God, that the God of the Bible is holy, transcendent, perfect, self-sufficient, without needs, and he realized that he could be set free from the need to please God, to fill a void in God's life. See, oftentimes in church, we hear answers to why we're here, like this friend of mine, her. And we sing songs like we did this morning about God's love and how God has a plan for our lives. And sometimes I feel we sound like the Beatles. You know, all we need is love, love, love. And we just keep singing almost in a sappy way this love song to God. And we forget 
we forget to remember that God loves us because he doesn't need us. Because God has no need of us, God loves us perfectly, unconditionally, with no strings attached. He loves us with a love that can never be earned, therefore it can never be lost. Because God has no need of us, he can love us perfectly. This is the God of the scriptures. This is the God that Paul proclaimed to the Athenians. This is the God that we worship this morning. A God that has no need of us, that can love us perfectly. Maybe some of you have had this experience. Maybe it was in high school or college or with a roommate or a boyfriend or girlfriend. You get in some sort of argument. This person hurts you, wrongs you, and you say something like this. I don't need this. I don't need you. And you walk away from the relationship. I'm sure that some of you can think about some relationship that you had at some point in your life where this person offended you, hurt you, did you wrong, and you concluded, I don't need this. I don't need you. And you walked away from the relationship. God could have done the exact same thing to us. God could have said to each one of us, because of our rebellion, because of our sin, because of our walking away from God, God could have said to each one of us, I don't need you. I don't need this. And he could have walked away from a relationship with us. But he doesn't. He doesn't walk away. He walks towards us. He came down from heaven to earth to be born in a barn, to live a life we couldn't live, a perfect life, to die the death that we deserve to die on the cross, only to rise again, conquering sin and death forever. And why did God do all this? Why did God send His Son to redeem us from our sins? So that we might worship Him, delight in Him, love Him as our greatest treasure and highest pleasure to ascribe ultimate worth to God. And that's why we gather every Sunday morning to worship God as our greatest treasure and highest pleasure to realign our hearts and our lives or our marriages or our families or our thinking about who God is. That God is this all-sufficient, powerful, holy, perfect, awesome, transcendent God without no needs. He is self-sufficient and He is great. And God is personal, intimate. He knows our thoughts before we speak them. He knows our hairs on our heads. And although He does not need us, He sent His Son to die for us to display His love for us. Oh, how He loves us like no other human can. Perfectly, unconditionally, with no strings attached. We gather this morning not for the coffee, the music, even the message. We gather this morning to worship 
God, to declare that, God, you are good, you are holy, you are perfect, you're transcendent, you love us with a love that can never be earned, therefore it can never be lost. We are here to worship and thank you for who you are and how you've been at work in our lives. As I mentioned, as a kid, I didn't really like going to church. I thought it was irrelevant. I thought it was boring. I didn't have any connection to it. In fact, I had this little moment when I was in third grade. It was kind of a vision. It was a little bit weird, but this was my little vision as a third grader at the church I grew up in. I wanted to get up and run around the church and yell, wake up! I just wanted to wake up. I said, wake up! Because it appeared as if everyone was asleep. Like, like, Like people didn't know why we were here. And I didn't really know. All I knew is I, I felt like I needed to run around, not because I had ADD, although I did, but because it looked like everyone was asleep. And I wanted to run around and say, wake up! And sometimes I feel the same way as the pastor. I want to run around, shake people's arms and say, wake up. We have a God that is so far beyond us, so perfect, our creator, this God that transcends us, that has everything he needs, he's self-sufficient without needs, he's perfect, he's holy, and although he doesn't need us, he loves us, he sent his son to die for us, he, he comes down and he hears our prayers, he knows our thoughts before we even speak them. This is the God that we come to worship every Sunday morning, because we were made to worship God, and when we gather on a Sunday morning, to declare our worship of God, God comes down. It's really quite fascinating. It's amazing that that God manifests his presence in the worshiping of his people. Listen to what the psalmist writes. You are the Holy One, this perfect, holy God, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Another translation is this. God, you inhabit the praises of your people. God, you show up, you manifest your presence when people gather in your name and worship you and declare that you are good and holy and perfect, that you love us with a love that can never be earned, therefore it can never be loved. That's what God does. Jesus said it this way. Wherever two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. Wherever two or three gather, wherever two or three hundred people gather in my name, because God loves unity, God loves worship, God reveals himself. When we gather in his name, he reveals his grace and power. He shows up in a special and personal way. And that's why we gather every Sunday morning. That's why this building was built. Some of you were here some 20 years ago. First it started over there in the multi-purpose room. Now it's a multi-purpose room. Then it was the worship service. And and that's why we keep the lights on and and put the air conditioning on so that men and women, boys and girls, can come together and ascribe ultimate worth to God. That's why we're here. Not just for coffee or the donuts or fellowship, but for God. We were created by God and for God, and he delights. He inhabits the praises of his people. He shows up when we gather in his name to declare that he is good and worthy of our praise. 
And I know that not everybody believes this. 80% of the people in the Twin Cities don't have a church home. And maybe it's because they don't like the music or the message or the coffee, or maybe they've forgotten why they're here, why God created them. Maybe they forgot that they were wired to worship God. And maybe they got too busy with their lives, their job, their desire to get ahead, their children and their activities and all the things going on that they forget to remember they're created for worship. This also happened in the New Testament. There were a group of believers that were so busy with life they didn't come to gather to worship. And this is the words of God through the book of Hebrews. God speaks to the believers at that time, and this is what he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not stop meeting together every week to worship God. Let us reconnect with God in our lives, with our marriage, with our families, on who God is and while we're here. And the key word is habit. Let's create a habit. Let's create a habit of meeting every week to worship God. I was talking with a new member of our church earlier this week, and upon visiting Maple Grove Covenant Church, he had an allergic reaction to church. He was kind of like the boy in the video that church was said, and he kind of went the other way. And he was at a point in his life when he wanted to know more about God. He was curious about God, interested. He says, I'd like to know more about God. And he was talking with a mutual friend of ours, and the friend says, you should go to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So he did the next morning. And he's never left. And the reason why he's never left is not just because of the music or the message or the coffee. It's because he's learning about who God is, and now he has this habit. Just about every Sunday, coming for worship over the last 18 months. And he's learning and connecting with God because of all the things that you can do over the next nine months, one of the biggest things, one of the best ways for you to come and grow in your relationship with God is to just show up. To just gather on a Sunday morning for worship. To honor, delight, to reconnect with your heart and your family and your marriage and your work, and just to reconnect and align yourself with this awesome, transcendent, powerful, perfect God that loves you, and he doesn't need you. Later in the book of Hebrews, we read this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Meaning, when you come on Sunday, don't come empty-handed. The Old Testament believers brought a sacrifice, a, a lamb or a goat. They said, don't, don't worry about that. Jesus already sacrificed his life. But what I want you to bring is a sacrifice of praise. To look back at your week and say, wow, God really provided for my food. Or God gave me clean water to drink. Or God brought me a family or a roof over my head. He gave me the, the breath in my lungs. And I want to come and I want to thank him. I want to worship him. I want to praise him. That's what God says to us. When you come for worship on a Sunday morning, come in a habitual way, not empty-handed, but with a sacrifice of praise. 
Come and say, God, you're holy, good, transcendent. You provide all my needs. And I've experienced your love and grace and power in my life. And I just want to gather here for you to worship you, to thank you, and to praise you. That's why one of the best things that you can do is to gather every week for worship. Next week, we're going to talk about another, the second of the big three. But now let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. That you are a perfect, holy, transcendent God that has no need of us. And because you don't need us, in fact, although you don't need us, you love us unconditionally, perfectly, with no strings attached. And this morning, and every morning, I pray that we would realign our lives, our hearts, our marriages, our families with that one truth. That you love us. Oh, how you love us. May that truth transform our lives, our relationships, our workplaces, and our world. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in our worship uh, to the giving of our offering. The offering is truly an extension of our worship. Everything we have is a gift from God, and we simply give back to Him a percentage of our income to express our faith in Jesus.